Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our ministries by going to breadoflifeboise.org. I'm glad you've joined us today. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and as we go into our study, we simply ask that the Spirit of God would open hearts to His truth. Once having claimed Christ as their Savior and Lord, what should the Christian expect? Well, we're told that we can expect trials and testings and even persecution, but David frames all of our futures with Christ as our Savior this way in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does it mean to be followed or pursued by the goodness and mercy of God? Uh, the Hebrew word there, follow me, is radaf. It means to pursue, and it's almost always used in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, of an enemy who is pursuing their foe. It's used of an enemy that pursues the foe to overpower them. It's used of a hunter who pursues his prey to destroy it. It was used in the Bible of Pharaoh when he was pursuing the people of Israel and chased them into the Red Sea. It's a word that was used to describe the person who was fleeing the avenger of blood. In the Old Testament, if a person killed another person either by accident or on purpose the family of the victim would appoint someone within the member of that family to pursue the offender and to put them to death. And that person was called the avenger of blood. And so God, when the nation of Israel came into the promised land and God apportioned the land to the various tribes, God also arranged for the appointment of cities throughout the land that were called cities of refuge. And these were places where an individual who had killed another individual either by accident or on purpose, could run away and escape the death and the pursuit of the avenger of blood. Once he arrived there, he would be given a trial. And justice would take place. And if it was discovered that it was a manslaughter, it was by accident, that he could remain in safety within that city of refuge. If he was guilty, he was guilty of murdering a person intentionally, well, then he was released to the avenger of blood. But it's the picture of a man who is being pursued by the avenger of blood. That's the idea of pursuit here. Being pursued by the hunter. Being pursued by the avenger of blood. Being pursued by the individual who wants to bring wrath and destruction upon your life. I told you again that David likely wrote this psalm later in his life. A little further study this week has revealed to me that most scholars believe that this psalm was written at a time when David had been overthrown by his son Absalom and was being forced to flee from Jerusalem by the armies of his rebellious son. If you compare this psalm with other psalms that were written at the exact same time and more clearly are identified as having been written at that same time, the same motif, the exact same words, the same ideas are being communicated in them that's communicated in this psalm so that most scholars believe this is when David wrote Psalm 23, when he was being pursued by Absalom. In fact, when David heard that Absalom had taken over the throne, David is found saying to all of his court, Let us flee, or else we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us all. As David was fleeing, you'll find this in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. As David was fleeing, a certain man of the house of Saul 
the king that David had taken over kingship from, by the name of Shammai, began to pursue David. And he began to hurl upon David curses upon him. One of David's soldiers asked David permission, because he was such a nuisance, permission to go back to where Shammai was and take his head off. David said, no, it may be that God has raised him up for this cursing, and I'll submit to it, and maybe God will remember that I submitted to these curses and will be merciful to me. So Shammai went on his way. Maybe at first, maybe he was a little timid in his cursings, but now noticing that there was nothing that was going to happen to him, Shammai got louder and louder, and he began to throw stones at David, and it says he began to kick up dust at them as David and his people were fleeing from the pursuing Absalom. David was being pursued unto death. He was being chased by that person or those who were to heap shame upon his head. He had been forced to leave his own house. And this event didn't come to David out of nowhere. David had brought it upon himself. You study the life of David and you realize that this event took place because of his sins. Because of the negligence of sin in his rule over the people of Israel. Because of the negligence and his sins in his rule as a father over his own household. And as a result of his negligence to his people and rule over them, and because of the sins that he committed, he was alienated from his relationship with his people and his own nation. And because of his sins and his neglect in caring for the children of his own household, including his son Absalom, whom we are told at some point in time, after many years, he forgave for a crime that his son had committed, but when his son returned, would not entertain him. He alienated his own son. He provided the environment from which these consequences came upon him. He could look back over all these things. And he couldn't tell them to silence Shammai. Shammai who was saying, you bloodthirsty man. Shammai who was cursing him because he knew somehow, in some way, Shammai was right. I brought this upon myself. His own son had become a stranger in his house and grown to resent him and rebel against him. David was reaping what he had sown in his own neglect, in his own sins. Have you ever felt that way about the sins in your life? About the shame that comes upon you? Have you ever felt to some extent as though you are pursued by your past and the things you've done, the things that you've said, the words that you've let come out of your mouth, the actions that you've let consistently be practiced in your life, the negligence you had within your own home, the negligence you had in your relationships, the negligence you had in cultivating your relationship with God, your sins, they're just chasing me. You have memories that you want to banish from your mind, but you can't. Periodically, they come after you. Have you ever felt pursued? as if your past was kicking up dirt and calling out charges against you. Beyond all that, beyond just the shame of your past, and of course there's Satan who is the accuser of the brethren who brings out his accusations against us. The fact is the Bible tells us that God is just and that He calls us into account for sins that are left unaddressed. Our strategy oftentimes is just to try to ignore those sins and to forget them and try to put them behind us or try to make the best of bad situations and try to go forward just making better decisions in the present. But the fact is, unless you've brought yourself to God and received what He provides for you, He will pursue you with His justice. And even if you try to outdistance yourself and you can't always sense the 
movement of God upon you, your own sins will pursue you. They will demand an answer for the decisions in your life. You can't outrun your past. But we do. We run from our past. We run from our sins. We run from God. At times we feel pursued and we flee. David was fleeing at this very moment. All these things, to some extent, he had been complicit in bringing about in his life. But at this very moment in which David is fleeing from the pursuer that wants to destroy him, God brings to David a promise of assurance. God says to him, in essence, David, in all of this, I am the one who is chasing you, and I am pursuing you with my goodness, and I am running you down to cover you with my mercy. God is going to make up for the sins of David's past. God is going to chase David down in order to heal the wounds that David's own sins have inflicted upon him. I'm going to chase you down. So God is actually saying, David, these circumstances, this pursuit of Absalom cannot outpace my pursuit of you. I will get to you first, David, and I will bring to you my goodness and my mercy even through these things. Expect it. Wait for it. And so David says, Oh, don't shut up Shammai. Let him curse away. God will work a blessing for me in all of this. Let Shammai say what he wants. Let Shammai rain his curses down upon me. Let him bring up the challenges of my past. Oh, God will work out a blessing for me in all these things. And it is in this reassurance that a renewed childlike faith awakens in David And he writes a beautiful psalm that some have thought was so beautiful that he must have written it when he was an innocent shepherd boy watching over his sheep instead of a fallen king retreating from a rebellious son. How wonderful an expectation is that? How wonderful a trust and faith God gives us even in the darkest moments. Listen to me. This is what God can do. He can take the sins that you've committed And the circumstances that your sins have caused in your relationships, in your household, in your own internal conflicts, in the outward circumstances of your life, and He can turn even these things into agents of His good blessing upon your life. God turns it into our good because He pursues us with His own goodness. He pursues us that God might be God over all of our lives. And He pursues us with His forgiving mercy. A preacher by the name of Macmillan wrote these words 150 years ago or so. The consequences of our sins may be transformed into sources of joy and fruitfulness. Who else can say that? Who else can truly say that? Oh, I know the celebrities get up there because... Their managers have told them to say this. I have no regrets for the things that I've done because without them I wouldn't be who I am. They're lying. They have regrets. (laughs) They're lying. It's just a posture. It's the only way they can sell their CDs and their DVDs and their movies and the plastic image that they're presenting before the world. But only the person who is being pursued by the goodness of God can believe that God can take the failings of our lives and turn them to great blessings upon us and others. He goes on to say this. 
disappointments on earth may become the appointments of heaven. And God can give us the sense of recovered freedom. Surely the goodness and mercy of God shall pursue me. Paul understood what David was saying by the Holy Spirit. He reiterated the same promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He said, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Let's make this be our third question. What makes us a candidate for this goodness and mercy? What makes us a candidate for this goodness and mercy? I mean, listen, if I go and I look at individuals' lives, I know for many of these lives, payday is coming. I know that justice and wrath is pursuing them and will overtake them. I know for certain that the avenger of blood, the consequences of their sins are going to catch up with them and draw them down into ruin, not only in this life, but in the life to come. There are only, it seems, a few that have goodness and mercy outpace these pursuers. You cannot, you will not fully love God until you receive His gospel. Christ dying for your sins and claiming your life. And when you embrace that supreme love, you love God in return. And as you lovingly take up His salvation, God takes up a pursuit after you to turn all the circumstances caused by your sins into agents of His goodness. God works everything together for your good then. He pursues you with His goodness and mercy all the days of your life. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, just go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, the Lord bless you.